0: With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you, as we do week by week, to join us here in this place, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. One of the constant battles in our house is one over snacks. Of course, there's the age-old debate about what counts as a good snack and what doesn't. I mean, I get the urge to just eat crackers and chips all the time. I, I get it very deeply, but I feel like it's kind of my duty as a parent to prevent that at least some of the time. One of our kids, I swear, is like 80% blood, organs, and bones, and the other 20% is pure pepperidge farm goldfish. It's a real shame that my children aren't here this morning. There's nothing they like more than to be sermon illustrations. (laughs) But the real rub in our house around snack time isn't so much about what snack is, what constitutes a snack. The argument is most often about when a snack is allowed, because the snack is invariably requested right before dinner. At like 5.30, somebody will come and say, can I have a snack? And I'll say, no, you can't have a snack. We're just about to eat dinner. When? Well, soon. But I'm hungry now. And that's the never-ending refrain, right? They want something now, and I want them to wait. And you know what? I can see how that would be frustrating. Uh, Nobody likes to be told to wait. And Peter, this morning, frustrates us in this exact way. We are ready for something now, and Peter's telling us that we have to wait. And the worst part is, he refuses to tell us how long that waiting might be. With the Lord, he says, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Are you annoyed because it seems like God isn't keeping his promises in a timely manner? Are you hungry now when God, it doesn't seem to be providing? The problem, Peter seems to be saying, is you, not God. You're just not understanding properly how God works. A thousand years is like a day. He's not slow. He's patient. This must be what my kids feel like when they ask me if they can have a snack, and I tell them that we're eating soon. You see, kids, with me, one day is like a thousand years. (laughs) And a thousand years are like one day. I'm not slow as some think of slowness. So, you know, soon. But they've started to accuse me, my children, sometimes rightly, of doing this kind of thing just as a cover for saying no. I just don't want them to be happy. I just want to say no. And the same is often true for us when we think of God, isn't it? Down deep, we suspect that God actually just wants to tell us no. And it's what can make waiting when God asks us to wait, so frustrating. I feel like this thousand years and one day thing is especially frustrating in light of Advent, the season in which we now find ourselves, this season of waiting. We get these prophetic readings all throughout Advent. We talked about last week from Isaiah, he was looking forward to the Messiah coming to rescue God's people, Israel. How long? Do we have to wait a thousand years more? And we, in the year 2023, can't just slough off that frustration as part of that long ago before time, can we? Part of the waiting for the first coming of the Messiah. Because our frustrating reading this morning is written by the Apostle Peter. Written after Jesus' birth, life, death. And resurrection, Peter is writing to people who are still, like us, waiting for God to do what he has promised to do. We're waiting, we feel, deep in our bones, for God to finally keep his promise. Now, of course, as we talked about last week, Jesus has come. He has lived. He has died and risen again. And God's promises have been kept. And yet Peter still writes this to a church waiting for Jesus to come again. These people are not waiting to come for Jesus to redeem the world. They believe that that has been accomplished. They're waiting for him to come again to bring everything to completion. To fix What's going on in the world and in their hearts? They're looking out the window, again, like we talked about last week, and wishing that God would come and make everything right. And we are still waiting. It's been 2,000 years since Peter wrote his letter, and things are still not as they should be. It's been 2,000 years, but of course, what am I saying? That's just two days to God. So the waiting is frustrating. But take heart. The waiting is not the end of the story. And even in our frustrating reading this morning, there is good news. Actually, both readings this morning from Second Peter and in our companion reading from the Gospel of Mark, in which John the Baptist comes onto the scene and announces that Jesus is about to appear. There's still waiting involved, but there's a promise attached. Telling us to wait isn't just God's way of saying no. Both Peter and John tell us that we need to wait because God is still at work saving sinners. So we have a commandment to wait and a promise that God will do what he has said he will do. So the waiting for God to come And the announcement that God in Christ has come, the way we talked about them last week was as a promise made and a promise kept. These two things come out of God's two ways of speaking that we talk about so often, commandments and promises. But it's easy, especially this week, especially in Advent, to get hung up on the commandment part, isn't it? It's the commandment version of the promise made that we are symbolically living into in Advent. Wait. That's a commandment. And it is a particularly difficult one. Tom Petty knew that the waiting was the hardest part. We hate waiting because it makes us dependent on someone else. Now, of course, this is a commandment to wait with a promise attached. We are waiting for something promised, something that will be good and wonderful, but it is a commandment for us today nonetheless. Is it Christmas yet? Wait. Will there be justice in this world? Wait. Will people be reconciled to one another? Will nature itself be at peace? Wait. Wait can feel how difficult this is. Goodness gracious, we ask ourselves, what's God waiting for? How long, O oh Lord, the psalmist asked. When will that beautiful vision come to pass? When will the lion lay down with the lamb? What are you waiting for? And here in our reading from Second Peter, we have our answer. The apostle says this incredible thing. It's not that God doesn't have a sense of time although he is indeed outside time and space and it is true that for God a thousand years is like a day and that God himself is not waiting long what's actually going on here is that God is patiently giving sinful people time to repent a chance to turn to him the Lord is not slow about his promise says Peter, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So Peter begins with the commandment, wait. And he's not done yet. He's got some commandments, if you paid attention to our reading, for us to observe while we're waiting. Don't neglect, he instructs us, to be the people your God has called you to be. Leading lives of holiness and godliness, at peace, without spot or blemish. So wait, yes, but also wait in righteousness. Wait in obedience to his word. This is God's holy call to us during this time. Wait in righteousness. Christ has come once to save us, and he's coming again to take us home. And in the meantime, we are called to wait and to be faithful, to be holy, to be without spot or blemish. (laughs) This, of course, naturally puts us in mind of our sin. This is Why Advent is traditionally thought of as a penitential season. Why I'm wearing purple this morning. The call to wait in righteousness cannot help but remind us of our need. Our need for a savior. This is the time when we reflect on God's patience in saving us. And pray for that patience to extend that more sinners would repent and turn to him. In other words... As we pray for the repentance of others and share the good news about Jesus Christ with them, we ourselves live lives of repentance. When John the Baptist emerges from the wilderness, he calls people to repent. Now, our reading this morning is from Mark. And Mark doesn't record the angry, violent version of this call. You know, the axe lying at the root of the trees. You brood of vipers stuff. That's in Matthew and Luke. But that's how it was. That is how John came preaching, repent. God himself is coming. John's call seems like all commandment and judgment But even that call to repentance, strident and frightening though it was, still came explicitly in the context of the announcement of the good news. Here's how Mark records it. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Repent and wait. Confess, and one is coming. But he makes sure the people know that there is good news to you. He reminds the people of the promise the one who is coming is greater than me. He is Jesus, the Messiah, and he can actually take away your sins. And of course, that's exactly what Jesus did. Like we said last week, this is the difference between a promise made, he is coming, and a promise kept. He has come, lived and died, and rose again for you. John says that Jesus is coming. We who live on this side know that Jesus came. We can see Jesus' finished work. We see the veil of the temple torn in two and a Savior raised from the dead. John made sure that the people knew they were waiting for something specific, something good, something great. And then he was able to point out when that thing actually came. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came, and he accomplished our salvation. And so now, when we wait, we know that our waiting has an end point. An end point and a redemption. This is what waiting looks like now for us, with this posture of looking back. Waiting while knowing the ending striving while knowing that there is good news for us when we fall advent then is this beautiful picture of the overall christian life the repentant life strive fall repent redemption strive fall repent redemption the very first thesis of the 95 that Martin Luther famously nailed to that Wittenberg church door kicking off the Reformation. The very first thesis stated that quote, "Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ in saying repent intended that the whole life of his believers on earth should be constant repentance." We are still nodding to that insight over 500 years later. This cycle of repentance is written into our liturgy. We are compelled to do it at least weekly, whether we feel like it or not. We say, Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker and judge of us all, we acknowledge and lament our many sins and offenses, which we have committed by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty provoking most justly your righteous anger against us. We are deeply sorry for these, our transgressions. The burden of them is more than we can bear. And then, having repented, we beg God for mercy, for Jesus Christ's sake, and we ask him to grant that we may ever more serve and please him in this newness of life. This is the life of repentance. And then, of course, we hear without fail the announcement of redemption. Almighty God, our heavenly father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent. And with true faith, turn to him, have mercy upon us. Pardon and deliver us. And so once again, we repentant sinners are pardoned and reminded of our deliverance, our redemption. So when you confess, you're going to do it here with us in just a few minutes. Take the words to heart. This is not only what Advent is all about, this is what the Christian life is all about. Confession is powerful. Be so repentant. Receive the forgiveness of sins. For us, waiting in righteousness, which sounds like it might be something complicated, is actually something as simple as coming to church, saying the words... And actually believing them. I acknowledge your lordship. I love your commandments. I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. Make me new. Say it with us. Believe it with us. Every week, every day, every hour. This is how we wait. The Lord asks us to wait in righteousness, and we strive for that. We pray, we read, we worship, we love, we honor, we obey. We confess our sins and repent. We beg the Lord every single week, every single day, to have mercy on us sinners. And we, we who have a bloody cross, an empty tomb, and a promise kept to look back on, we know that his mercy has indeed been poured out on us. John was right. Someone more powerful than him was coming. Jesus Christ, God's own son. The world waited for him once, and he came. You wait for him again now, and you can be sure That in Jesus and on account of his finished work for you, you're waiting and your very self, your body and soul will be redeemed. God is not slow about his promise. He is patient. He promised you redemption and eternal life in Christ. And by Christ's life, death and resurrection, that is exactly what he has delivered.